What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Kind of Funny Games Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Miller, alongside the pride of Long Island, Colin Moriarty. Go Islanders. It's good to be here with you, Greg. It's good to be here. We finally dropped the dead weight. We listened to the comments. Everybody hates Tim. Gone. That's all it took. Now, Tim's in L.A. He'll be back soon. Thank you for putting up with it. I've never hosted a podcast before. I hope this goes well. I don't talk about games often. I don't know. You never know what's going to happen. I think we'll be okay. Uh, Colin. Good luck. Yes. When we said we need somebody to fill in for Tim, mm. we said we need somebody mm. as smart as him, mm. who is as accomplished as much as him, mm-hmm. who has traveled the world like him, mm. and that's why I picked up Ryan Payton. Right, right. Ah, oh, welcome. Ryan Payton, everybody. You. You, you are, if, if for some reason people didn't know you, preposterous. You're a big-time game developer. You work at Camouflage right now. Trying to be. You put, <laughs> you originally put dream. out this game. That's the re- Republic. Republic. Now Republic Remastered just came out on Steam, Mac, good old games, Humble. You can go get it all those places. Did I get them all? Yeah, we're not on Mac Store yet, but you. Sa- I thought you were saying earlier it was going to no, be on Mac. No, and I corrected you earlier, but that's oh, okay. Oh damn man. it! I just don't listen to you. Greg once doesn't listen. Okay. Once you gave the initial information, I was like, well, that's all you I needed. Really know. good though. I thought I think you got you got three out of the four. So yeah, okay, good. That's good. not too shabby. That's not too shabby. Real good. Thank bad. you for coming to join us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having uh, me. Of course, we're recording this uh, after you were on Colin and Greg live. So if you remember that episode, this means we're still at the eve of launch. Mm, Republic correct. Remastered. Yes. Are but by you, the time they hear it, it'll be out. Exactly. You can go pick it up on all the places I just said, except for the one that doesn't exist yet but <laughs> yeah. will one day right well we'll be on the max store at some point mm-hmm. yeah keep and we were we're, working on get, we're working on this lovely uh, device that greg and i will haven't stopped talking about since it was the ngb if you're if you're at home Ooh. he's holding up a place to, or if you're listening to mp3 he's talking to the he's talking about the playstation Vita. yeah we we made some exciting moves and hope that t- yeah. today will, it will hooking you up with the right oh, people man, we'd there. love to have the game on the vita I'm sure. I think it would be perfect on Vita. It would be. It would be perfect. It really would t- be. You know, because the touch interface. Exactly. Yeah. Republic. Uh, give give the elevator pitch for everybody who doesn't uh, know. Yeah. Republic is a game uh, that we've been building for the last uh, three years. It's a stealth action game mixed with uh, a lot of hacking elements. It's a game about paranoia, government surveillance, privacy. Uh, it follows a a, a a a protagonist named Hope who calls you on her stolen phone and asks you to help her uh, escape from a secret totalitarian nation. So. Not too shabby. Colin, it's not, that, that setup was a lot like you. Yeah. Worried about this, worried about that. I'm always worried about something. The government. So are you are you like me, man? Just paranoid and being oh, yeah, careful I, what you say online yeah, and well, I think text and Yeah, I'm not, I'm not so careful about what for. I say as much as I know they're listening. And every once in a while, like when my, my dad and I are always complaining about politics when I talk right. to him on the phone when I call back to Long Island. And every once in a while, I'll say something and then I'll just be like, you know, and I know the NSA is listening, so fuck you guys. If you're listening to this right now, dirty bomb. I, I, yeah, just say, just say, just give all <laughs> just the, the, the keywords. The keywords. I think a lot of Terrorist. people do that. You know, I, and I, I, there's there's a study that uh, we might reference in episode four, episode five, Ooh. that uh, that journalists have. There's a, there's a survey that they they actually change the way that they write or they think about. They're, they're more careful about the way that they're writing, uh, whether it's emails or articles, because they know that they're being. Listen to, or yeah, could yeah. be listened to, or could be showing up uh, as like different, uh, like hot, you know, like these kind of keywords mm-hmm. that could show up in some of these, uh, these, uh, this data that the, that they're collecting. So it's not good. It's not a healthy thing. We'll yeah. be fine. Well, it's not like you sound like my dad. He's like, I got nothing to hide. Yeah, that's the problem. That 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 mentality is it. Yeah, big issue. basically, what you're saying is, I don't care about my rights. Pretty much. No, well. Give me video games. <laughs> I don't care at all about my rights. <laughs> Greg opens every phone conversation with his mom by saying the following words. His mom will be like, hello, and he'll be like, terrorist, Abu Ghraib, <laughs> cocaine, uh, freedom U- tower. Ukraine, freedom tower, 9-11. Anyways, mom, I was just calling to see if I had the right. <laughs> that, 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 did did you know that you have their, you have their <laughs> attention? Nick, yeah, Scarpino's, <laughs> Nick Scarpino's here. He's moving the light. Hey, hey Nick, how you doing? Good. You, you know, we don't put him on one kind of funny games cast. He breaks in, yeah. swings the light all around, looking changes good. it around. Looking good, man. You happy now, Pappy? 
We love Good. Nick Scarpino so much. Um, if you didn't know, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Kind of Funny Games cast. The idea is simple. Each and every week, we come to you three best friends around this table, each t- bringing not a topic. It's, I've never introed this one. This no, is why no, Tim, you're introing exactly like our other show, which is that's why Tim just does the rigmarole and then stops. Mm-hmm. Kind Go of to kindoffunny.com and you'll find, you'll find exactly. all the information you Support us on Patreon. Thank you so much. Every week we bring this show to you about video games on Friday. You can get it on Patreon early. And if not, it's broken out topic by topic, day by day on YouTube until we post the entire thing for free on YouTube and MP3 services around the globe. So now here's the thing. We talk about topics. Talk to me show. about it. Ryan Payton. We're, I, I, you gave a brief tease of this Uh-oh. on Colin Greg Live, but you have to bring it up and tell everybody your official story. The, the topic number one is... Hideo fucking Kojima. You know that I'm a huge Metal Gear fan. I do. I love Kojima-san. I <laughs> love Peace Walker. It's the best game of last generation. My favorite game of all time. It's time to get into the fact that not only are you a Metal Gear fan, you worked You worked on Metal Gear 4. You worked with this man in Japan. You were his right hand. You were like his ninja. He sent you out on missions. Cyborg ninja. Yeah, exactly. You were his Gray Fox. You were his Meryl. I want to know everything about Hideo Kojima. <laughs> what do you want to know, man? Uh, we'll start, uh, start for everybody, to bring everybody who didn't catch Colin or Greg live, let's start with how you got to work with him, how you started in this industry, how you became a game developer. Uh, so you, you guys can tell me if uh, I'm going a little bit too long, but okay. uh, I'll tell a little no bit more. About, Please, a this little, show is literally, little... every show we do is a walk. Don't all worry. Right, all right, <laughs> fair enough, because uh, it depends on how detailed you want to get, but the story is interesting, and I, I don't... I'm not tired of it yet. So, uh, <laughs> all it did was change your life. <laughs> yeah, it did. It really did. So, uh, graduated from college with a, a d- degree in foreign languages and, and business, and uh, I, I, d- I joined this thing called the Jet Program. Are you one of you gentlemen familiar with it? No, I don't know the Jet Program. Uh, the Jet Program is a uh, is an official uh, sponsored Japanese government program to bring native English speaking college graduates to Japan to teach help teach their junior high and high school students in, in public school and so um, if you're if you're a Japanese kid growing up you uh, most of the time uh, you you would have a some guy from or some gal from Australia or America England uh, there to, to be like a native speaker to help you with your speaking sure right? so I was one of those guys I was at a, at a high school in rural Japan didn't know what I was doing there they sent me there because I had I, I could speak Japanese and uh and yeah so i was just kind of honestly miserable uh i thought i was gonna you know because you have that vision of you know growing up of japan like it's like blade runner and i'm gonna be eating like ramen and uh you know playing video games all the time and everybody's gonna be a ro- i'm gonna be talking to robots and it's gonna be amazing you, you so you're envisioning akihabara yeah, you're yeah, just living that's in akihabara kinda, <laughs> that's kind of where i expected i was gonna be living and then i they were driving me out to where i was going to be living which was in uh uh in this in this prefecture called hyogo which is doesn't have a lot of people and uh yeah it was like it, it was eight hours from anywhere, basically. It's a small country, but it's very densely sure. packed, right? And so I was out there in the country, uh, not really knowing what I was doing. Cried my first night, and uh, but thankfully I had this freelance gig with Sif Davis. So I was never heard of for uh, Xbox Nation Magazine, One Up dot com, EGM. Uh, end up writing for Wired and Japan Times. So I was able to kind of subsist or kind of regain my sanity by teaching English, which I wasn't really a big fan of, but to about writing about video games and covering the Xbox Japan beat. Ooh. This is the sexiest beat It was beat popping you can off, get, man. man. This is the best one. I fought really hard <laughs> for that one. So, uh, yeah, I was just... Uh, I was traveling over the uh, on the weekends uh, to Tokyo. People, The guys I was working with, with had never been to Tokyo, and I was going there every weekend. Because wow. I just couldn't stay in this like 
you know, back backwater town. It was nice people, but I just, it just wasn't for me. So anyway, um, I was covering the beat. I was a freelance writer, and uh, so I decided. Rick, were you to, living yes. in like Inaba? Was this like was this, was this, this Persona was Four? This, this was is Persona Inaka, Four. Yes. This is Persona no, Four. No, no, it's it was way more Inaka countryside really? than the Persona Four town. Oh wow. Uh, it's, it's primarily a fishing village, yeah. and this is very this is very common in Japan uh, for any kind of m- most of like the suburbs or outside of the big cities. Is that the when the when the kids grow up and they graduate, they go to the big cities and they never come back. So it's mostly old people. Gotcha. And the high school was kind of like a persona high school in the fact that it was more or less haunted because it's a huge high school that they built in like the sixties or the fifties, and all the there's no nobody having kids outside. Yeah, you know, and so or outside outside the big cities. So there's like. 200 kids for this, this school that would that can house 2000 Jeez, and it's just wow. really scary and That's haunting weird. and nobody's my age and it was weird it was a weird weird place to, to spend two years of my life but uh I, I did again kind of like was able to kind of connect with with the thing I really love by writing about video games and uh flew on my own on my own dime to e3 2005 uh to cover e3 and try to get some money just doing some freelance articles and I was uh, covering uh, the DS beat. So I was, uh, I think I was looking at like Beautiful Joe DS and Okami <laughs> DS. Maybe, I, I can't remember some of the games, but uh, I got a call from my editor, James Milkey, who said in a panic that he had, he had overslept or he double booked or something, but he couldn't, he couldn't make his appointment to visit or to meet and interview Hideo Kojima for Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence. And as a huge fan, I just played Metal Gear Solid 3. I, I realized when I just, when I played it a month or two before that, that that was my favorite video game of all time. Wow. And you can imagine my excitement to be able to run over there and sure. interview this guy. So uh, well, I was, it was me and Scooter and a couple other journalists at the uh, interviewing Hideo. And he noticed that I think in the interview that I understood his answers before it was being translated by his amazing translator, Aki Saito. And uh, and after the after the after the interview, I was talking to the translator in Japanese. Hideo went to the restroom. When he came back, uh, he overheard us speaking in Japanese. With, and I had a southern dialect because I was living in the south. Sure. And he's like, "Why do you speak in a southern Japanese dialect? This is so weird." And he's like, <laughs> and then it kind of cut to the chase. Like, "Hey, are you interested in interviewing? Uh, I have an open position for a bilingual." You know, guy, do you want to come in and interview it at our offices in Tokyo? And I said, "Sure, of course." All right, so here's the timeout I want right now. When you're interviewing him. At E3, yeah, yeah. did you think about talking, speaking to him in Japanese? I did not, and the reason is because you guys have seen this. You guys are in the press. Uh, that uh, there are there are guys who are in the press to be in the press, and there are other guys like turncoats like me who are in the <laughs> press because I want to be a video game developer. And a lot of these guys will. And I didn't want to be that guy to inter like you interview them for an article, and then afterwards, like, hey, if you ever need somebody for your company, gotcha, you know, gotcha. I just think that's that's. That's not right. It's See, not I always every time I've ever spoken to him because he's such a hero to me. Right. I always think about man, like if only I would have listened to Dan Shu and gotten a minor in Japanese when I was going into uh, college. Because right, right. how baller would it be? Yeah, man. To just sit down and do like a, I do like an E three like couch demo or whatever, and we just have this Japanese conversation. I'm translating for myself. I'm telling what's happening. I'm explaining. That's God, as baller as awesome, it gets. That's right? as baller as it gets. Yeah. Well, I, I frankly think it shows a level of modesty for you to you know you're fluent in Japanese and and. You know, regardless of your want to get a job, or whatever, I don't necessarily think he would have read into that if you just spoke to him in Japanese. Mm-hmm. And I think it shows a, a actually quite quite a modest sure. Would have, in a group interview, especially, would have cut out like all the other American. Yeah, and there is there is something I thought what I thought you were going to say, which was interesting, uh-huh. and, and and maybe maybe it was maybe it was in your mind or not. Was you know, in my I only went to Japan mm-hmm. a couple of times, but had dealt with a lot of Japanese right. developers, especially sure. if you were on the PlayStation beat. Is it's just a it's a culture of honor and respect, and right, so right. I would if I spoke spoke Japanese and I know that this guy came from Japan simply to translate, I would have actually felt bad. And still that's true too. That's a good. Point. That's what you, I thought you, you might. You don't want to be that guy. And those guys do exist. You guys have probably seen them. And they they there's like a, a classic one, like this Nintendo Joe guy from early 2000s, early 90s, like during like a Nintendo presser at E3. 
you know, in front of all these, like, it, it was a time when at the Nintendo press where they would take Q&A at the end. This is yeah. way back in the day. And this guy was like, Miyamoto-sama, you know, blah, 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 in Japanese in front of everybody. And they're like, okay, either you're showing off, you're trying to be cool, but this none of this works. And I yeah. didn't want to be that guy. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, but yeah, it all, it really all, all worked out. So where were we? So you were, you, he had just asked you to come to Tokyo to he interview. Did. Right. Gotcha. So obviously I'm super excited. Uh, <laughs> and I, I yeah, on my own dime, go up there multiple times. Uh, it's a, about a three, $400 round trip, uh, from where I was living, uh, to do these interviews. And are you flying? Is that how you're getting I'm in? I'm flying and sometimes I'm taking the bullet train. Okay. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a day long trek for me. And, uh, and at the time, I had quit my English teaching job. I was I was studying more Japanese in Osaka at the time and running out of money. And uh, interviewed and interviewed and interviewed. And I got the word. And it was, you didn't make it. We're interviewing about 25 people, and you didn't make the cut. Damn. So that sucked. Um, so I packed my bags. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to live in Japan anymore. And I, I moved, moved back to Washington State with my folks. Uh, went to Costco. Bought World of Warcraft uh, box set and a 24 pack of Mountain Dew. Yeah, you did. And Fuck yeah, Ryan Payton, you're like, an OG. And I decided I'm done. You know, like I'm just gonna. I'm hanging up the dreams. I, yeah, this is it. <laughs> I'm never gonna get in the game industry because it was too much. Like I'm trying. I was I was thinking about a similar kind of situation earlier about trying to find the right analogy for it, but I really can't. It's just basically you never think about it, but then when it's presented to you and you're like, yeah, yeah, I want that, and then yeah. it's taken away from you. Sure. It's that to be crestfallen like that was really was really tough. So fast forward about a week or two, I'm playing World of Warcraft, just deciding this is going to be my life, and uh, living with my parents like like a baller. Yeah. And uh, and I get an email from Konami. Uh, turns out you actually did pass. You actually are the selected chosen one. We got it wrong. Can you can you start in a month? Because TGS is coming up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, my immediate response is, oh, this is great. This is great news. Uh, you you can you can pay for my my trip back, yeah, right? And my oh, move. Right. Like they're like, hell no. Yeah. So. I had just bought a car, uh, so sold the car, used it, used the money to pay for the flight, moved all my stuff back to Japan, threw away Wow, yeah, threw away Wow, like, never done. went back, never went back, nice. and uh, never had time, and got started just before TGS 2005, which uh, when I got in the office the first day, they had ushered me into the uh, editing room, and Hideo wanted me to know, he wanted to ask me like what I thought of the the trailer, which you guys will probably remember. It was the first gameplay trailer, first like visual trailer of MGS4 when you know Snake is uh, you know behind that wall, and you can see like the the gecko and right. the, and the yeah. soldiers behind him kind of going, and you saw the new uh, Otacon like uh, MK2 right. robot and stuff like that. So, and I thought it looked stunning. So I was like, this is amazing, and I can't believe I'm here. Like that was really the the early days, like the very beginning of that project. So let me let me ask you a quick question before we move on uh, with more of the stories. This is actually very. This fascinating. is awesome. You are uh, awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. This is a very very fascinating story. One thing I want to know is so Konami made this mistake or Kojima made a mistake or as people made a mistake where they selected you and then they they didn't tell you. Do you know the story behind that? Was it that they was it that they like they're like shit we. We, we no, you told up, the wrong guy. Like, we no. messed up clerically, or did they like they they, they change their mind? This and then bumbling act like moron they shows made... up, and they're like, "Oh, this is not the guy we wanted." I, did you ever hear anything about I, that? I, you know, that's a good question. I don't. I, I'm, I should know. I never. I don't know if I ever asked or if I forgot. Uh, but I don't think there was 25 people. There really aren't 25 people that are qualified to do the thing that you know they set me up to do. So yeah, but I know some friends that, that did interview and didn't get the gig. Uh, and I don't know what it was. I mean, I remember being interviewed by Hideo and he was asking me about my favorite movies and books. And it was true. I was talking about Blade Runner and stuff that he obviously likes Blade yeah, Runner yeah. if you look at Snatcher. And um, there was some stuff that resonated there. But I think there was some concerns about my Japanese. It wasn't awesome. I mean, I was major. I major in Japanese. I was writing a lot in Japanese. I was writing for a Famitsu magazine, but it wasn't perfect. Sure. So I, I think that they might have been looking for that perfect candidate who 
more or less doesn't exist, which is perfect English, perfect Japanese, can do business, marketing, all that kind of stuff. Like those people are really, really hard to find. And I think they just decided to maybe just train me up to the level that I needed right. to be, which, you know, I think it ended up working out okay. Well, so then I left three years later. So maybe well, it, yeah, it, per- okay. it bit him in the ass big yeah. time. But yeah. no. So what what is the role they're bringing you on for? So what they brought me on for in Japanese was, was called uh, Kaigai Tanto. Which kaigai tanto means, uh, as you, yeah, you guys are very familiar Duh. with, kaigai is like for, is foreign or outside or international, and then tanto is kind of like uh, in charge of or manager. So it was kind of in English. I, I, I gave myself the title international manager, and then they're like, no, 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 you're not a manager. You're not managing anything. So I was like international coordinator, which basically meant that every day I was emailing back and forth between Konami America, Konami Europe, and then, and then Kojima Productions, oh. coordinating about hey, you know, E3's coming up or TGS is coming up. Here's the press that's going to be showing up. Here's the box art. Do you guys like the box art? I get the box art from Europe and America. I take it and put it in front of Hideo. So it's kind of like a, you know, messenger, you know, back gotcha. and forth, gotcha. just trying to like, coordinate with the different different uh, branches. So what was that like then? Like to um, be in there, especially with Metal, it's Metal Gear 4. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you want to talk about pressure. Like this is the one that's going to tie up all the loose ends and do all these different things. True, but when I joined, it was very early. So they didn't, it was, when I joined, it was all about Metal Gear Acid 2. It was all about um, there's one other game we were promoting really heavily. Well, there's the the digital graphic novel, and there's one more game. Oh, it was Metal Gear Solid Three Subsistence. Oh, okay. I had interviewed Hideo for that on the press side, but then I, I had to help ship it. Yeah. So that was that was pretty exciting. So when I joined, it was the most of the team was actually not on MGS Four. They were on Subsistence because gotcha. if you guys remember, the, they added the 3D camera, yep. and there was a lot of work to be done to. Because players could now move the camera anywhere, and they had a bunch of fake stuff, or they didn't build out the jungle in areas because they knew that you couldn't see them before, previous. Yeah. Now, because you have the 3D camera, they had to actually build out the the or the, the jungle more. So that was really interesting to watch that happen. But yeah, I was really just on the PR marketing side, working with Mark Franklin and and those guys. Nice. And so then they start. Uh, 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 so many questions. So I, so I know your question, which is, how did you get from, you know, Paperboy to actually working on the game yeah because you're like your title on four was producer right yes. isn't that it yeah so uh the big turning point for me was uh you know about a year in we had shipped acid 2 and acid 2 did not sell very well uh but but the original acid uh did sell really really well and it was because of uh what hideo would call the launch magic it was a launch mm-hmm. title for the psp as you guys remember yeah. and i think there were some kind of false positives related to the, that franchise so when Acid 2 didn't sell very well, everybody was basically saying, hey, look, we mistakenly bought Acid 1 because we thought it was a real Metal Gear game. <laughs> and now we know that the Acid, Acid series is not what we want. We want a real Metal Gear game for PSP. And uh, then enter uh, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops, which we ended up calling it. Right. Which I have a really good story about it. And I, I, it's, I'm, I'm, real, I'm on that cusp of being able to say things without getting in trouble because it's been a while. You're not allowed to say you have a really good story about it and not tell the story. Well, don't get, I don't want him to get in trouble. Yeah. Me and Kojima are friends. It's cool. He follows me on Twitter. He's I gave him that painting at E three. I don't if you can't yeah, don't get yourself. I won't I won't I won't go into details, but let's just say that uh just the name of it was was a lot of work to get that through because uh if you might you might have noticed, you might not have noticed, but that in, in America and in Europe that no PSP game had the title portable in it. Interesting. And it was for some reasons, and not like any kind of conspiratorial reasons or whatever, but it was just kind of a Sony thing. And uh, we had to go really, really high up to get that title because we wanted Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops. Why? 
because we wanted the acronym to be like an NPO. This is very Metal Gear kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah. So we went for MPO, and we had to. I, I, and he, they asked me to come up with a bunch of acronyms that could work for an M, N, MPO, a Metal Gear PO. What could that be? And the best thing we could come up with was Portable Ops. And because it had the name Portable in there, Sony didn't really like that. Sure. So we had to go get some permissions. That's, that's weird. That's yeah, kind of a really weird, weird inside yeah. baseball and I'm story. To, and I'm trying to think of like PSP games with Portable, and you're right. I can't. Actually, yeah, that's a really good point. Now in Japan, they do like Monster Hunter Second Portable, mm-hmm. things like that. But in the states, it was they were trying to avoid that for whatever reason. So anyways, portables were so poo-pooed. Yeah, this handheld game. This isn't a real game. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that was the thinking. I'm yeah, not yeah. quite sure. So just like when we used to have to like, well, this is pretty good for a digital game. Yeah, yeah. like those yeah. days. Oh, those yeah. days. Remember oh, that? Yeah, I remember. Oh that. man, Shadow Complex is really those good days for still an exist, arcade but for game. A download game. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, that's I know, still I know. Indie Station. Yeah, that's different. Now, now you can be a download as long as you are backed by a giant corporation every yeah. attacked with it. It's when it gets out there. So anyway, sorry. Or be Minecraft. How, how are we, <laughs> or be Minecraft. Uh, we're so still on the road to you becoming producer. We're still on the road to me becoming producer. So Portable Ops was the big my big break. Um, and the reason being is that now the team is the full team. 90% of the team is on Metal Gear Solid 4. It's a huge game, as you guys know. And uh, But the Acid team has now evolved into the Portable Ops team. Uh, and they don't have a ton of support, and the game needs to be shipped within a year. It's they had a year to make really? that game, and that game's really good. Yeah, I loved it. And we and the producer on that was really awesome. Like the executive producer name is Okamura-san, and uh, he was asking me for a lot of help. Basically, he was like, "Hey, beyond what I was normally yeah. used to doing." And uh, so I would fly to Australia to meet with Ashley Wood, who did all the the, the cinematic art, like yeah. the the thing on on your wall right behind yep. you. He like Ashley Wood, <laughs> you know, did that, and uh, so I was helping a lot more with my production. And what ended up happening was, again, without getting into too much detail to get me in trouble, but the director uh, was having some trouble and um, he was working tons of hours and he just couldn't get full coverage onto the game. And so uh, myself and the audio director, his name is Akihito uh, Honda, uh, he and I were young, crazy. I had moved right next to the studio in, in Roppongi. Nice. That's really expensive, really stupid, but I just I just wanted to be at, at, at work all the time. It was, I was living my dream. And uh, we would, after my real job was done about 10 p.m., Honda and I would just play the latest build of Portable Ops every night. We'd play till about 2 or 3 in the morning. And you guys know it's a really good, addicting game. Yeah. And But lots of problems we, had, we saw. And we just wrote up reports. And I would write them up every morning. Or actually, before I went, well, before I went to bed. And so when the develop, development came in, team came in the next morning, they had a bunch of feedback. And I just and and they saw like oh this boss battle is broken that's boss battle's cheap or this this place looks this this area of the map looks really bad or whatever and I wasn't it was just like to help out it wasn't sure. like my game or whatever and Okamura came to me about for a week after I kept doing this and he's like keep it going just keep doing that just keep doing that I'm like all right so for about three or four months I just kept doing it playing it every night and basically kind of doing what a real game director should do but we always get too busy to do that I don't do this on Republic and I should yeah um, so anyway uh, the we we get close to ship. It's supposed to come out before Thanksgiving because that's the sales period, the retail sales period, and the game's just not ready. So I fly. I get permission to fly to America and beg for forgiveness and ask them to delay Portable Ops by a month into December. And they said nobody ships in December. I'm like, that's my secret. Like that's that's now it is like I love shipping in December because you get. <laughs> we've done it with Republic, um, and uh, we might do it again with Episode Five. We'll see, but. Uh, it's you. You get you get like a lot of press coverage there because there's all the games have it's already quiet. come out. It's quiet, yeah. and uh, and they let it. They, they let us do it, and the game was a huge hit. I think it might even got a ten from IGN Portable Ops. No way. I might be wrong about this. I think you're wrong. I'm I might be wrong that. about this, but the game reviewed really, really well and sold really well. I remember that me and uh, it was Jeff and I that were there and we were playing it on PSP. We loved it, and we we. I don't want to take credit for it because I came in you know last three or four months of it, but we laid the foundation for what ended up becoming Peace Walker. 
You know, yep. a lot of that Pokemon stuff, a lot of that Jagged Alliance stuff. That was the whole thing of these bite-sized missions to go out and play, come back. Yeah, recruit those soldiers, exactly. use Wi-Fi. All that stuff came from that Portable Ops team. Oh, and I'm way wrong. I wasn't even working on a gym. 9.0. 9.0. Yeah, I must be. They did a second one, didn't they? Or like, they, uh, There was like a... And MGS4 oh, got a did a portable, uh, portable Ops Plus, which yeah. is not good. <laughs> that was really bad. Um, sorry, sorry, Colin, what was your question? I, I was just going to say MGS4 got a 10, so you might be... Oh, maybe I was thinking so about that, but yeah, a 9 out of 10. Yeah, it was, it was good. 9, but yeah, that was... Nine's real so amazing. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. So uh, it was like a Christmas party or something, launch party. Hideo came over to me. I was just kind of sitting by myself, and he's like, you did really good. You did really good on that on Portable Ops. I heard from the team. I was like, oh, thanks, man. And he's like, I want you to do that on MGS4. Okay. So Monday morning, the next uh, that next week, in front of uh, 200 people, he's like, Ryan, I want you to come in front of the group. group. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Me, 26 years old or whatever. And he's like, uh, we're promoting Ryan. Uh, he's he's going to be in charge of uh, you know playing the game and giving feedback. And he's going he's gonna to help us sell this game in the States, basically. And he's going to help us fix our controls. Uh, make sure the boss, you know, battles are tuned properly, you know, help out with the script and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it was this is all a, news to you at the a, moment. Oh yeah. This is a dream. You're like, your eyes are just getting as big as saucers. I imagine. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'll do it. Was there any, at any point, did you pull him aside and be like, I don't know about this, man. I'm just, no, man, I knew I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I could do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And when, and when, and I wonder if when he was talking about specifically tuning the boss battles and stuff, if, if you, and you know, kind of tweaking the story, if originally you were like, how can we get fat man back into this? Yeah. You gotta get that fat man back. That was my first yeah. thought. Yeah. I think actually, I think I might've said that in front of the team. Right. I was like my, uh, my first move as a new producer <laughs> on this title is we're bringing back fat man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. And we like heard, this fatales yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. but no, no, no. And you heard just one person in the United States Scream yeah. yes, and that was me. Yeah. <laughs> you Somehow know, you had a telekinetic link. <laughs> you go over there, go model those those uh, rollerblades. You over there, go model that that glass of wine. I was gonna say, and I need drink. And, I need oh, drinks with oh, a little. And we thing. also need the straw. Who's yeah. gonna do the straw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah get all up in that. Wow, get all. It's a really an amazing story. Yeah, no, totally. So I guess what you want to get into, Greg, you know, because we no, both, this is we, great. This is exactly this is fine. But I'm, but I'm curious because I, I think we can really get into some meat here now yeah. because we're both Metal Gear fans. But I kind of fell off with the series after Metal Gear Solid Two, and you are still. A huge Metal Gear fan. Yeah. And obviously Kojima has this aura and mystique in the West and has forever. Right. Like everyone like... First off... I remember the first time we met him yeah. together. I was like... In the it was like, Yeah, it was like yeah. one of the first times I ever... I meet famous people all the time. Inafune is my favorite developer and I was... There's only... Him and like only a select others where I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm meeting like... An royal hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I, I was just curious like, so what is the man like? I mean, that's... You know, that's what I kind yeah, of... Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many questions about him. Like, what... Is he a vampire? Why doesn't he age? Why does this man not age? It's insane. Well, him and uh, Fumito Ueda must be going to the same clinic. You know? <laughs> that guy doesn't age either. Yeah, it's just it's just this Japanese thing, man. Uh, yeah, you guys see it all the time, like you know Japanese movie stars. All these, yeah, they just their their life expectancy is a lot longer than than we are we have here in the states and yeah. stuff like that. So it's it's diet, you know, in Japan, and, and he eats, he 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 tweets he makes sure that you yeah, know oh what yeah. he's eating every oh day, yeah. right? So. Uh, yeah, they, they eat really healthy, and uh, you know he, he's he started to really exercise during uh, MGS4. He got really really fit and got really muscular. Yeah. Uh, if you look at pictures for, of him uh, MGS3 era versus MGS4 era, you can see he got he got really ripped. Yeah. So it's got it. Got to get out there. And he's putting a lot of pressure on me and and Ken, uh, who was Imaizumi, who was my boss, and was really supportive during that whole time. And he was like, "You guys got to go to the gym and do this stuff." And I was like, "Dude, I'm working on the game, man. <laughs> got to make this game good." So is he like? At what point does I mean you're a fan too you know you were blown right. away to go interview him at what point does that start to wear off and he just does he ever just become your boss one of the guys kind of thing or I I, I honestly remember in 2005 when I joined talking to friends about how 
as much as a fan or a fan of I am of Metal Gear Solid Three, I wasn't necessarily, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but I wasn't necessarily a Hideo Kojima fan. Okay, and I think that was really important joining the, the joining the company. Um, and I don't think he wanted that, right? Maybe he saw that in me. I don't really know. Um, but I was a, I was just as much I was there for him and appreciated the opportunity. And he really did help me, and especially in those early years, uh, getting in, involved in, you know, the company and everything. Uh, but I was there for him. I was there for the franchise. I was there for the fans. And I was there for the team. And I really started to learn over time if there was one big takeaway. And I remember interviewing with Microsoft talking about this is that it, for me, it wasn't like I was fighting for him. I was actually fighting for the the other 100, like 199 guys who are working sure. on the game who are killing themselves, who don't get the same recognition that he gets. And I just, the, the, some of my best friends are still the guys at, at Konami. And I every time I go back to Japan, I just hang out with those guys because there's they got, I mean, you look at the game, they're just, so talented, right? Yeah. And again, I don't want to take anything take, take anything away from him, but uh, that group he's got is unbelievable. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to ask because I mean, that's a really great question in the sense, or just a statement in the sense that there are certain visionaries that you think that we don't we know something about game development. Obviously, where it's like you don't think Miyamoto makes the game by himself. You don't think Inafune made <laughs> right. the game Mega Man by himself. You don't think you know. Yeah. But what is what is that dynamic like when you have a a outward visionary style person leading a project where you know that no one I don't want to say no one but 90% of your audience really doesn't give a fuck about anyone right. but Kojima you know and thinks that every decision is his and, and he wrote these, the whole story and he designed every character and did all these things like what is it like working in a studio like what's the morale like because it seems like in Japan it might be a little more of a uh, again, like an honor-based thing where it's like that's not a problem for them as opposed to the United States. You actually see less of that here because I think that might be a problem. Sure. You know, like sure. a Cliffy B-style person who's like, right. Gears of War is Cliffy B, but there's uh, 200 people that were in that game. Yeah. You know? So like, what is that no, like? I think like, that's a really good question. That's something that I was really conscious of while I was there. And I ma- tried to make, the to the best of my effort, when I was doing more PR promotion types of things, with, for example, the making of video Metal Gear Solid 4, almost killed me it was so hard and it was like this two-hour blu-ray and it was i have a crazy story around that that we probably don't have time for but uh trying to get all the time in the world i don't know i don't i gotta be out of you know you know my cutoff time uh but uh the uh yeah i tried my, my best to try to get the the team on camera and talking about what they did and these guys have been working there for 20 years you know that yeah. a lot of people aren't familiar with the same thing like you were talking about uh, miyamoto like the same thing goes for nintendo like they're starting to do that with the iwata ass like bring some of the old guard on there but yeah, there's just so many people behind the scenes. And, to, and again, to answer your, your other question about, like, is there, like, resentment for that within Konami? I don't think there is. I think they're just used to that, and I think they're okay with that. A lot of these guys I don't think are there for the promotion. I sure. Think, and if they are, they're in it f- for the wrong reasons, quite frankly, you know, as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, in terms of, like, the aura around him, like, I never, I guess I just never really had that. Like, right. I had a lot of respect for him, and he had he has, he has amazing ideas, and, uh, and I'm I just have so much respect for the the, the, the stories that he've, he's created over the years. And MGS1 was a seminal game for me. That was right. the game that made me want to join the game industry more than anything else. And so, uh, yeah, I just, uh, it was it was fun working with him. Uh, but I just, I just approached him like another guy. Nice. Really, that was really important for me. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, it's one of those that, you know, you think about these legends in the game industry. And I always think of Jack Trenton. And I know when he was at Sony PlayStation, he wasn't hanging out with people in the cafeteria, chilling out. He had his uh, office. Right. He's right. off over there. He said hi in the elevator, I think, once in a while. There you go. Yeah. 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 So then what, Metal Gear Solid 4, how long are you what, – what, you get to this producer role. How long are you actually what, – what's your timetable on that? Like what do you, how much time do you have in that I guess role? I have about – I must have about a year, year and a half. Okay. Um, okay. So coordinating – I was doing my producer stuff still. Oh, wow. Really? And then doing the, the game stuff and also game production, not only just design but the production. So coordinating trips to Morocco. You know, coordinating trips to uh, Peru for all these different like research trips and uh, and to Prague, 
and so getting involved in that was really fun but tons of work and um yeah we and as you know i just i'm having bad flashbacks now about all the game conventions that we did. oh yeah because you know metal gear is always there there's always a new trailer and it never feels like you're making a real game and i start to see the the benefits of it though <laughs> it's that the team I, one of the things i learned and about the production of Metal Gear. I don't recommend this, by the way. It's a very expensive, costly way of doing this. But the game, I think the team more or less learned what the game was. Like, the vision of the game came from the trailers. Really? So that, you know, they, it's like a it's like a vertical slice of a vertical slice in a sense. Like, oh, I now, now I see where things are going. There's no, like, documentation being thrown around. There's no huge presentations. They're like, okay, guys, this is the vision. Here's the five pillars of the game. There's none of that crap. <laughs> it's more like they're all involved in, like, the production. They're making their small part of the, of the trailer. Then they see the whole thing together along with the rest of the world. They're like, okay, that's what I'm building. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. a really interesting approach. And they really push things forward in that, that kind of, these kind of piecemeal little releases. And then they have to buckle down. I think they have to realize, and this has happened to, uh, to me, having worked on a number of different projects there at Konami, is that at some point it comes down to, okay, we have to make a video game now. It's yeah. not just trailers. It's not just cinematics. So it, get the work it's done. it's funny. I mean, that made me laugh in the sense that when you you feel like you're working on a metal game and you never think it's real or like you're not making yeah. a game, and it's it is true in the sense that like just like being on the outside, like when the Phantom Pain was revealed, everyone was so excited. And I was like, "What the hell is what? it?" I, well, not even that. I was just like, "I don't know." Like, is this game fire, even? Is this even whale? a whale? First of all, like, I, like yeah, it's just like so. It's so weird where it's like I don't know. I'll be excited about when it's when it's here in my PlayStation. But yeah, yeah. yeah until like, then, because you just don't know how long it's going to take and what the hell is going to happen. And right, and you, you you can you can rightly rightfully assume that they haven't figured out all that stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, that Phantom Pain trailer, by the way, is I think the best Metal Gear trailer of all time. I would argue. The initial reveal? Yeah, the initial one. The reveal was cool, and I think it was the same... Was it the same... This, I, I think, gives us some insight, because I think it was the same year that The Last of Us was revealed. Yeah, right? the VGA. And then The Last of Us had come out, or like, yeah. two years ago. And Metal Gear, obviously, will come out this year, but... It's what was so funny to me about that. What I'll never, what yeah, of course. What I'll never forget about that particular trailer is that it took literally five minutes for someone to be like, it's Metal Gear Solid Five, and the and the logo fits. Yeah, put the V the in v, there, and, and I was like, stuff. Uh, yeah. and I remember seeing that on Gaff for the first time and being like, no way, there's no way, like that's brilliant, but there's yeah, no yeah. way that you figured that out and that that's a real thing. And I'm well, like, no, that really is. Well, then then you go on Gaff and you see that there's pictures of Hideo wearing a Moby Dick Studio, not Studios, Studio uh, T-shirt. Yeah, and you're like. Why would he have that? Like, yeah, you know, yeah, it just got really silly really he's quickly. Funny. I mean, he's he's a funny dude in that respect. I think like where it's just like he plays with yeah, it. He, he understands. He's what basically the screwing is. with everyone. And yeah, I think yeah. that's like not in a, not in a uh, mean way, but it's just like you always you have to always look at him and study him and be like, what is it about you that is telling me something about the project? Or, right. Right. I think yeah, it's he fun. has, I think he has a lot funny. of fun with that and like yeah. the other it's cool. the way that they, he he promotes uh, is is really interesting. Right. Really gorilla style. Right. Yeah. Why doesn't he speak English? I know he understands English. He laughs at my jokes when I'm interviewing him before they get translated uh, in the same way you. And I'm like, just talk to me. Let me in. Uh, he, just like a lot of Japanese guys, he probably has a lot more confidence in his listening ability. Mm, okay. That's fine, I guess. Yeah. I just want to talk to you for day. Well, you got babblefish, man. Yeah. <laughs> we'll sit there and go back and forth through yeah. that. So then you you sh- you stay through the ship before? When, stay, when, do you, yes. when do you leave? That's why I'm not familiar with this part of your career in terms so, of like in terms of projects. So I, I, uh, I left... Uh, a couple months after MGS4 was released. And was but, it just time for a new challenge to get back to America? Uh, or what was it? A little bit. There was a couple of things. Um, one was, yeah, so the game shipped on June 12th, uh, 2008. And uh, I was, the the team had shipped, I want to say that we started around uh, end of April, early May. And the team had, was going on a long break. And the way that Konami does it, it's, uh, it's uh, 
it's overtime pay or whatever. So they don't pay. They just give you more time off in exchange for the gotcha. amount of time that you did overtime. And I had accrued uh, about four months of, of uh, vacation. So uh, <laughs> You were working just a bit on this. Game. Yeah, I was. But I, my vacation didn't start until after ship because, every, again, we, we, everybody asserted and everybody was fine. But then we had this making of video. So I was spending all this time in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, and working on this big project with Victor Lucas and those guys up oh, there. Oh, yeah, EP. Yeah, and EP Daily, and those guys did a fantastic job on that. Really, really, really good uh, making of video. However, um, this is this is one of the stories I didn't want to tell because of the because of time, but I'll, I'll give a sneak preview is that my goal for that, with that was that I was going to archive, with Victor, he wanted to do this too. We were going to archive all the old videotapes that I had found like in the basement of Coaching Her Productions, oh my right? God. Of the past 20 years. Wow. We were going to capture the entire thing, put it all to XDK, uh, or not XDK, it was uh, to XD Cam. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we're going to make the most comprehensive making of documented metal you've ever seen. And we, I think we really, we really did pull it off, but uh, I had, I had all these tapes that only had like, there's, these are just the originals. I didn't even have time to copy them. I didn't even know how to copy a lot of these different formats. We had everything. We had every kind of video format you can possibly imagine. And so I put them all in this big box, and I take it with me to to Vancouver, Canada, because we're going to go capture all these things. And I'm jet lagged, and I'm at YVR, like international, like in Vancouver International Airport, waiting for my bags in this box of all these tapes. And I start seeing the tapes. Oh my god! I start seeing the tapes. Oh my god! But it's not in the box, on this carousel. Oh no! Hundreds of tapes just coming off of that little um yeah, you know, yeah. That, that that machine right yeah, yeah, the yeah. conveyor belt and then i see the box completely ripped open oh jesus I'm like and i start seeing tapes fall down in between the cracks between like you know the yeah, conveyor yeah, yeah, belts where the metal things are i'm like this is like all the company history and i've completely screwed it over so i You're like i got to quit <laughs> I, I, I was thinking it, would, it was that was it there was two moments where i thought i was it there was that and then i thought ha- i had lost the uh the motion capture video uh, that we had and I thought I lost it in Los Angeles on a hard drive uh, I had to bring it to VO with me and I couldn't find it Yeah, and I thought I left it in the rental car and I kept calling them secretly I never told Ken or Hideo or anybody because I was like and I worried every single morning I woke up I thought it was going to be on YouTube I thought all the cinematics like the, the oh, motion wow. capture versions were going to be on YouTube like a year before release and I kept calling and I spent I spent hundreds of dollars of my own money on like international phone calls to Enterprise Rental Car asking about this one rental car can you search it again? Can you search it again? I'm sure it's in there. I'm sure it's in there. And then I, I was so worried. I came, went back to LA and I got to the recording studio, at, which is now called Formosa. And they're like, oh, you left this hard drive here. I forgot to tell you. And I was like, oh, thank God. So I thought you I was going to get fired over that. Uh, but the the tapes though, um, so this shows me how, shows how like a terrible employee I was. But uh, <laughs> So these tapes, I call Victor. I'm like, I'm going to be very, very late. If, if at all, I might not even show up. And uh, I started just collecting them all. And some guys started helping me. I started lining them up. There was hundreds of tapes. And I had like a, a, a spreadsheet of like each, I had them each numbered too already. So I'm like, okay, here's one, here's three, here's seven, here's 15. I'm like, oh crap, where's everything else? Lined them all up. It took me hours and hours and hours and hours. Guy, some guy just like who worked there at the airport kept going underneath and trying to like pick more. And some of these tapes are broken, all the like ribbons coming out. Sure. I'm like, oh my God, uh, I can't believe it, man. Um, I three of them were totally destroyed, and all three of those I had backups for. Everything, all the originals were fine. I was able to get them to to Victor's place and, and capture all of them. I was so lucky. Again, never told that story to Ken or Hideo, but uh, 
yeah, man, those are like two moments. And so maybe that was why I wanted to leave because uh, I was just so stressed out and getting that Blu-ray out on time was so stressful and things just weren't really working out with the video capture equipment and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, go on vacation. We shipped. The game had amazing response. You, you, you guys hear this all the time, but you really lose perspective yeah. um, when you're working on a game for that long if the game's good or not. I'm just convinced the game's going to suck. And uh, I, was, I thought we were going to get really hammered. And we did a little bit, but not to the degree that I thought we would in terms of the game's length. Yeah, you know, it's a topic of, of relevance right now, and <laughs> you know, cinematics versus gameplay and stuff. Like, but people didn't seem to care; they just loved the game, and uh, I was so happy about that. Uh, I went home, uh, loaded up. Uh, I think it was like Halo Three and Two Human. I was playing that. I remember that oh, yeah, around that human. time. And, uh, and but before that, um, right when I got home, within the first week, I started you know spending time with my folks. My mom was getting these weird calls from this hospital, and she then told the whole family that uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and that it didn't look good. And my dad looked at me and said, you're not going back to Japan. You need to stay here and yeah. take care of your mom. And um, and your brother's going to school and I have to work. So I'm like, all right, this is the time. You know, I thought I was already thinking about my next move. And, I, you know, we were they were talking about a PSP Metal Gear, which ended up being Peace Walker. Yeah. And I thought that would be a lot of fun. But I don't know, just the timing felt right. I, there's just no way. There's, sure, uh, you can't. You know, when you think that, and thankful mom's okay now, but when you think you're going to lose your parents that like that and... Uh, there was just no way. Sure. So uh, I went back sense. to Japan. I talked to Hideo. He was very supportive of the idea. And uh, I left. And then the moment, like within 10 minutes of the that news hitting the internet that I was leaving Konami, I got an email from a Microsoft recruiter. And they said, we're looking for a director on a Halo game. So I went up there, interviewed. It was a local job so I can you know, yeah. be with my folks. And, and uh, yeah, I got the gig. Nice. Your story's awesome. Yeah, that's well, a great. That's yeah, a hopefully, great, it's interesting to your guys' listeners. We should yeah. have him. We should next time we have you back. We should have you. We should now hear about. Hey, we don't have time yeah, 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 now. Exactly, but then exactly, your whole experience exactly. at Microsoft and with Xbox. Yeah, and that, Halo. That, that stuff is actually a little bit harder to talk about because it's a little newer. It's newer, and I think they're a little more sensitive about it. Um, no language barrier to protect you. No, from what I'm I'm assuming no one's listening to this. You right. want it? From what I understood, this is all you know huh? through the the trees. You hear rumors. <laughs> your Halo Four was going to be a match three where you played Katana, right? Yeah, and exactly, and uh, you know it's it's amazing how rumors get out, but yeah. uh, I don't. So I, I don't. I don't think we have they to do found the, story the hard anymore. drive of the mocap yeah, of the right. matching. Oh yeah, no, so they did it. Yeah, man, that's fascinating. Yeah, stuff. free to play Halo. That's what I wanted, man. No, you're I visionary. Topic number two for you on your kind of funny games cast debut. Mm-hmm. You're a developer. You're yes, you're a big time developer. <laughs> uh, last week over on that there, Kotaku. They put up a story from Anthony Birch. It was basically like an editorial he wrote. Mm-hmm. And it was basically the five Anthony things. Anthony Birch works at Gearbox. Or not anymore. Yeah, exactly. Anthony Birch went from Destructoid to Gearbox, wrote Borderlands right. 2, 2 DLC, right? Or the whole game? I uh, thought he wrote the whole thing. But maybe all right, maybe. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with his entire career, but I know for sure. And then he helped out on Borderlands, the pre-sequel, and then now he's out, outside, of the, outside of there. Uh, and this is what he, the five things he uh, learned being a game dev. Isn't that what basically the outside world doesn't get? What As critics and fans, oh, no, cool. nobody understands. And I wanted to know what yours were if you what, what going from basically our side of the fence being you know freelancer for one up pretty much jumping into game development what you learned because what he had done is like it's way harder than it looks uh the games look like shit 90 percent of the t- production yep, that, that's true uh when developers use the word excited they're not bullshitting you they are excited and like you know i'm oh, really excited yeah. for this yeah uh that he basically read every critique ever like mm. people you do read the critics because oh, yeah. i think when you know you we're firing off a review or some people's firing off you're like well they'll never see this right he said he read everything ever. oh they, they ever read everything yeah, and then basically along that, those lines. Yeah, so I mean, like, that's all true. Yeah. What? What? What I are have some? Nothing th- to add. <laughs> all right, moving next on. Good job, Anthony. Yeah. Next. <laughs> no. What else? I mean, what were the biggest? What were the biggest surprises? I guess for you when you first made your jump. Oh man. 
just how long everything takes and how everything sucks for so long. And, you know, I thought it was actually unique to Metal Gear in terms of like the game coming together at the last minute. I'm yeah. learning more and more that that is actually just what most games kind of uh, they, they encounter. And so a lot of work that goes before, before E3 or some kind of demo that to show the press and that the game is oftentimes really terrible like a couple weeks before that. And it's just, sure. it's just the nature of the beast. And it, it sucks because I think, a, a, you know, I, I've been on that side as too. I'm, I'm thinking, why don't you guys spend more time on this? And they're like, I, I'm playing this game. Like, well, I could, I, I could do this. I could point out all these problems. Like, yeah, you don't think these guys know these problems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, that was his final one is that if, it's, if, if, if something sucks, the developer knows it. Right. They're not like totally, oh, we missed that fact that that boss was cheap or this happened or that you could see through that wall or whatever. And I think that's one of the, the – what, what separates – the, the, the good from the great in terms of in terms of game development and a lot of these guys have different ways of achieving this but to make your game great uh, you need a lot of there's a you need you need something special it could be extra time a really supportive publisher you know a ton of money to throw people on the problem uh, you need to have some kind of policy that is like we're not going to ship until it's ready and whatever and screw you guys and uh, that's a kind of like a blizzard approach yeah, you yeah. know and uh, it shifts when it shifts. And yeah, exactly. And there's like a lot of different, or or you just kill your guys. You, like everybody just kills themselves to get it done in time and get it, make it make sure you have the extra time for polish. And for whatever reason, it's sometimes it's it's really hard for a lot of developers to get that. Whether you're on a licensed title, for example, and you have to align with a movie, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. So that's one thing I'm really trying to find out with our studio. Um, you know, for for Republic, for example, we were set on shipping uh, in October of 2013. We ended up shipping in December. So we shipped two months later. And that extra two months made all the difference in the world. And how did I get there? I sold my, I liquidated all my 401k that I had accrued from Microsoft uh, at a huge tax uh, uh, penalty um, to pay for the staff for two months, right? Because I felt, and you just, that's what you need, right? And I'm not saying that episode one was everything and anything and everything but uh it did make a huge difference and we got great reviews you know right so i'm trying to think about that for our studio moving forward too it's like how do we how do we get one of those things you know tons of money or tons of staff or like being able to crunch like crazy or have a publisher that lets us delay 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 until it's perfect or you know all all those things are really hard to get let alone one yeah right so what i guess I think for it's easier when you talk to Colin and I, or, you know, people here, like we're creators, right? We've branched out on our yeah. own, done this, kind of the whole thing, right? Like, well, hopefully people support us and it goes on from there. But when you're to the point of, I'm going to liquidate all my money and I'm going to put it behind my own staff, support them for the two months to get this out and stuff. Like, what's going through your head? Is it just like you, there's no other way, so you have to make this work? Or right. is it? That's basically it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, there was no way I was going to ship that. I remember I was in a meeting. I remember talking to Darcy, our, our producer, and she's like, we have to ship like they're, you know they, they believe me when I say like this is this is our burn rate this is how much money we have left I'm like we have to ship you know this Ryan like and I always had the back of my mind I had that 401k yeah. my dad told me not to touch oh, it oh god of course that's what you parents know? do yeah I was like dad I'm I'm 31 years old I don't need a 401k right now right yeah. and so yeah you just, I wanted that as an extra backstop but yeah it's just when you invest so much time in like the Kickstarter backers too you have 11,611 guys and gals who backed your project a year or two before that and you don't want to disappoint them you have this responsibility as a Kickstarter or as a Patreon right to do to do good by the other guys too like if your game sucks it's another you know mark, mark. against crowdfunding right? right if your game's great it's it helps other people so there's all these different pressures. Like I know there's people at Microsoft and maybe a couple of people at Konami that wanted my game to suck. Maybe they didn't like me, or you know they just want didn't want me to be me to be successful post those projects, and that's fine. But I wanted to prove them wrong. There's so many things that I wanted to do with that game, and so it just 
I think there comes a point like what you guys have experienced on your own, which I have like the utmost respect for is like, you have to, you, you have the safety net and you have to decide whether you, how bad you want this thing. And this is not for everybody. You yeah. know, yeah. there's guys at Microsoft that have tons of respect for that have, you know, five kids and full of health benefits. Dude, don't go out on your own. Are you crazy? And that's not, he wants what he wants to do anyway. And that's yeah. fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But for crazy guys like us, right. And we want to do something really big and on our own, on our own terms and stuff like that, you know, there's nothing better, right? But if you got to do it, you got to go all in, man. You got to yeah. go guns and blazing. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly what we figured out. Yeah. We tried to have, we tried to have a both <laughs> one foot, Yeah, one foot in, one foot it's out. Not, it's not it doesn't possible. Work, right? No, it doesn't. So then, what? Do you, how hard is it for you to put distance between yourself and critics and reviews? I mean, like when scores start coming in and stuff, like, is it what you're expecting? Is it not what you're expecting? Do you read them? Do you not read them? Do you try to stand off? No, I off? read them. I read uh, so, you know, knock on wood, the, the critics so far have been extremely positive towards our game. Right? Yeah. We've done three episodes, you know, PC's out by this time, and I hope those reviews are going to be good. But I'm not really, I don't go to bed at night worrying about critics. Um, and if anything, the thing that, so at, at a high level, super, super happy. Don't worry, not worried about critical uh, acclaim or, or not for, for our game. That being said, uh, I was surprised by the lack of enthusiasm on the mobile side for our game because, mm. as you guys know, the game first came out on iOS and then Android, and now it's finally on PC and Mac. And I thought we were making like the game for these like you know mobile app reviewers, but a lot of these guys were tearing us apart way more than like the console focused guys that really? are playing the game at like IGN or Gamespot or Game Informer or Eurogamer. They were all giving us great reviews, yeah. But it was like the mobile sites were like, "This is trash," and really? what the hell is this? I'm like. To me, in my perspective, and I know I'm the most biased person in the room, uh, but this Republic is way better than most of the the crap that you guys are reviewing and giving five five stars to. Yeah, and uh, that was a thing that I, I I again I wasn't really upset about. It was just something I really Surprised couldn't wrap my you. head around. Did you, I mean the more you think about it, is it the fact that that you're you're a console guy, you've made console games, you're in, you're reviewing well with console players because like Colin and I, you know, never to pick up our iPhone right. expecting to play video games. Right. I mean, this is a game designed for us, right? Right. And that might have been my tactical error. Uh, I'm not. I don't regret the move going on iOS and Android first. It actually got us way more notoriety and press coverage and attention that we would have gotten if we went to PC or console first. Actually, yeah. so we had a great story to tell um, when it comes to the release. But uh, yeah, I, you know, one of the things I, I've learned is that I think the game is a little more, a little bit too hardcore for the mobile audience. It's. Mm-hmm. I was re- like, I had a Ken Levine like, you know, we were talking one day and he was like, Ryan, what you're trying to do is really, really hard. You're trying to create a market. <laughs> you know that's really hard and yeah. i and i and i was trying to argue that i'm not trying to that that infinity blade is there right or right. the room is there or sword and sorcery is there device six device six is there right there are games right but he's like yeah but this is a different you're and it, it, it speaks to like the, the genre i was that was one of my biggest tactical errors i think is that i brought stealth action to this mainstream mobile audience Stealth action is one of the least user-friendly uh, genres. Sure. It's, it's always fun to fail over and over again until you figure out what, oh, that's what I need to do. But people get so frustrated. I remember watching, I was in MGS4 reviews and preview events and stuff like that, and just watching really hardcore guys who say that Metal Gear is their favorite franchise getting really pissed off at the game and hating it because stealth action is kind of by by design a really frustrating genre. Sure. You know, you guys have played that. If you sit down and play Metal Gear, you have to be in the right mindset. Yep. That you have to be patient. Right, and sometimes it's just not working. I don't know if you guys ever felt that, especially oh, MGS too. It's all trial and error. Yeah. Right. I, when I sat down to play Ground Zeroes, it was the first Metal Gear I streamed. 
And like, yeah, it was yeah, so yeah. frustrating because the chat's telling you how much you yeah, suck. Yeah. You're trying to show something yes, cool, but you exactly just, you're not paying attention to that guy this over there. When exactly you need, I, like for you know, I, I need to kill the lights, sit there, and be like, I'm gonna lay in the grass for five minutes right. and figure out what the yeah, hell is really, happening. Yeah, yeah, you really gotta be patient. Mark every goddamn enemy before I make one move. And so meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, this stealth action games, we're gonna bring it to the masses. And then I look at Telltale and all their success, where their game, and no offense to those guys because they do great stuff, but like a monkey, if if you give him a, uh, <laughs> enough time, he could finish that game. Yeah, you know, uh, not our game. Like our game is way too hard like on average when we did the free app of the week with apple we had millions of downloads awesome wait it wait on average most 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 players were getting caught eight times in episode one that's way too much and they were quitting all the time yeah it was just uh that was a tactical error so we feel a lot more at home right now on pc and mac because we feel like the other user base is a little bit more used to this genre oh definitely i think i think your game is gonna be a hit on steam with, with the that more hardcore gamer that finds some um of the more uh uh, what is the opposite of hardcore? Casual game, I guess. Yeah. Well, offensive. They find those things offensive. On yeah. So I think that's why like, it, it seems like your yeah your game will work. That's why I think it works so well on the fact that like you know why it reviewed well with IGN, why people love it. You know what I mean? And that's the thing for me on why I, I you know I haven't completed all the episodes. I started playing it and it's just like. I really don't like gaming like this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I've tried, oh, and there's like certain games that'll come on like Game Dev Story. That's like my one success. Oh, dude, it's so good. That is like the one so success. Good. I'm like, yeah, great. And then everything else is just like. I'd rather have even a mouse and keyboard. I'd I want some kind of tactile yeah, control. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 part of our, our story. You know, we're we're about two thirds of the way through this whole endeavor. Yeah, five episodes, trying to get this game to as many platforms as possible, and the team's growing along with each episode. You know, we're better, we're becoming better craft, you know, crafters of entertainment and, and storytellers. And so it's uh, it's been a really fun ride, and uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world, even though I'm a lot poorer now. Yeah, and make sure. I mean, today on Colin and Greg Live, we we talked we talked about you know Greg sent out a tweet to you know Shahid and, yeah. and Gio Corsi and oh, right. and Shu right. Oshida to try to get the game on the Vita, which is where I think it really belongs, and on PS4 and PS3 because um, there's definitely still a huge user base there. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. so hit those people up on Twitter and let them know yeah, you, let them what know. you think. Yeah, because I mean, I, these these kinds of things really matter. What I think people have kind of lost sight of. Is that these building? It's building the list, right? Yeah. Or hashtag building. Building the list, the list is is actually oh, right, worked nice. and brought games over. Like Sony's been instrumental, and Borderlands is the one that they always use the example of. But Tales of Hearts and other games Grim like Fandango. that were, were like all brought mm. because people asked them to do it. Yeah, they and, want to put uh, stuff yeah. out there. And so, where's, where's Transistor? I want that. Yeah, yeah that's what trans yeah, yeah. yeah the tra Transistor would probably run on. You think so? On I mean, they're Bastion. The they Bastion's coming yeah, over. They have to strip it down a little. That's the real one. That's what we've been waiting for. That's finally yeah, that a win. Is, yeah, that's yeah. wrestled I'll, I'll, that one away from Microsoft. Banner Saga, there you go. God, oh, Banner Saga's right. coming, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Vita's awesome, man. Uh, we'd love to do it. Uh, you, did you guys want to get in that inside baseball about the Vita, or you don't? Hell yeah, don't care. No, Any, no, no I, I, this is the thing: is what did you learn as a developer, and what is yeah, what's the inside baseball story? Also, we could talk about Vita for fourteen hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, dude, I'm down, man. Call me anytime. Uh, so, uh, the Vita is the is 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 the by far outside of PC is by far the the most requested platform. And if you look at the numbers and the of sales and stuff like that, that doesn't make sense, right? But there's a very passionate, passionate, uh, you know, consumer base out there for for quality stuff on on the Vita. So for us, uh, again, because we're built in Unity, and, and our game is a, a is a showpiece for for this new version called Unity Five, uh, which uh, should be out pretty soon. We're we're shipping on a beta actually, and we had to remaster the game for PC. What that means is uh, we we redid every single piece of art content in the game and made it work for Unity Five, which has really really high high tech really, really cutting edge uh, uh, graphical features now. So the game looks very, very different than it does on iOS. So Unity also lets us push to lots of different platforms. It could be, we can push to Linux, Wii U, Xbox, PS4, 
PS3, uh, Vita. And so a lot of people will tweet us or text us and say, like, why? Like, you're on you're on Unity. You can just push easily to 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 Vita, and it's really not that simple. Yeah. Um. You know, Sony support is good for it, uh, but really, there's a the, the Vita's memory is an issue. The, the onboard memory is a, is a problem. So one of the things we have to do is a lot of custom work to profile the game and turn off some effects and stuff like that to make sure that the game will run. Now we've one of the one of the advantages actually of building for iOS and Android first is that we actually have it, under the hood we have a bunch of things that we do to profile based on each device. So the iOS or how do I say like the iPhone six version and the effects that we have and the way the game looks looks very different from the iPhone four version because we know that the iPhone four sure. has about half or less than half the memory and all these different kind of things we turn on and turn off so there is a world that where a good looking version of the vita game will ship um it's just there's a lot of like tweaking going sure back you and have forth. to you can't just you it's can't not push as easy a button as, yeah exactly everything's just remap buttons right right well yeah your left click becomes the triangle and then it's right. over and you put the game out yeah i mean it's definitely not that easy. yeah i mean what, what i'm what i what i love about this device and we talk about we kid around a lot about about it a lot and we definitely are huge advocates for it but what i love about it is that if Deve- the developers that show Vita love, and I don't mean like just put a game on Vita, but like show Vita love. They'll write Drink PlayStation blog. Drinkbox is a great example, exactly what I was thinking yeah. about. Like when they're like, we write PlayStation blog posts and we make these games and they work on Vita, and frankly, maybe they're best on Vita and stuff like that. They get rewarded. And I was at GDC a couple years ago when Drinkbox gave a talk, and someone asked like, why would you put your game on Vita and not on iOS? And they're like, because like Vita gamers buy games and iOS gamers don't, mm. you know? And like and like that's why we're ki- like they're like we're killing on Vita, you know? And so it seems like the, the, the there's just developers out there that sure. seem to get it that the Vita install base is low, but that the Vita um, attach rate is enormous, mm-hmm. like fucking enormous. Right. You know, like two years ago it was something like twelve. You know, which yeah, is insane. Ridiculous. You know, yeah. so it's like like people. You read the PlayStation blog comments or read our Twitter account or when we used to do podcasts beyond stuff like that. People are just crazy about that device, and if people support it, they buy the games. You know, and so I really feel like you know you guys have a hardcore game that speaks to that audience and if you gave that audience love by giving them the game i bet you they buy it sure you know and i think like that just it just there's just a lot of examples of it i just think that you have to be a little more and it seems like you are a little more attached and and cognizant of that subsect of gamer that cares about this device that if you put your game on um you know uh wii u with a comparable amount of wii u's out there whatever it's going to sell probably 10 times worse you know what i mean like that's just the nature of sure vita gamers know to go buy games or whatever right it's just interesting. It's weird. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, you know, we've been studying in this industry for a long time and playing games for a long time. And I've never seen anything like this device in terms of how it doesn't sell huge, but the games do. Just complete indifference from the consumer base. Yet, like people just insist on bringing their games to it. Yeah, because like uh, we always give a shout out to this awesome NeoGaf thread where they they show all the games yeah, that are yeah. coming up, and there are more Vita games announced than any other platform. You oh, know, and that's, that's like amazing. That's, that's it's wild, amazing. Man. You know, like it's so weird. Yeah, so we'd, we'd love to support it. You know, I, I love the idea of getting like getting behind a platform that um, that's kind of what I was talking about on your guys's your guys's live live stream is uh, it's just about it's not just about just uploading the game to these stores. It's about getting the support from the either the platform holders or a publisher to help us like the uh, Velocity X2 guys yeah, are talking yeah. about. Like you need that extra support to make it like may, I want to make it an event. If mm-hmm. we come to Vita, it needs to be an event. Right. Whether they get episode four early or episode five early or we have exclusive content for it or we're just optimizing the hell out of the, the sucker. We have cloud saves, you know, from Vita to PS3 to PS4 or whatever. Anything and everything we can do to make the... And that's actually one thing I learned from Metal Gear. One of the great things about Metal Gear is, like, no matter what platform on there, they're always using those unique features, yeah. right, of the, of the platform, of the controller. And so that's that's what we want to do. So hopefully uh, Sony or, you know, if Microsoft wants to do that with Xbox or whatever, we're, uh, we're always open to talking about those kinds of things. But 
It's the same. Well, good luck with that. I think that, yeah, there's going to be demand, I think, from the first parties for your game. So, And there probably already is. So, you know, th- that's exciting. You know, and we have a controller prototype. Like moving, you can move hope around with a with a left analog stick. Why the hell didn't you ship this remastered with? A oh Come on, God, man. man! Six months of you work. You can't me with the space bar. Minimum, man. Six months of work. Yeah. Because we have to remap all of her animations to the, the you analog don't have stick. A, you don't have a Konami four hundred one k. Come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, the next one I want to do is a little bit of a, a twofer. We mentioned this a second ago. This next topic, right? You talked about game length. Metal Gear Solid. This is, again, a big thing right now with The Order, 1886. I don't know if you've heard of this game. I've heard of it. Okay, good. It's, it's a it looks, it looks It's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Not incredibly long. Not as short as some were saying. If you want to speed run it and do it, blah, blah, blah. When you're making a game as a developer, is that what you're thinking? Where does, where's your headspace at in terms of the end experience, how long it's going to be? Are you just making a story? Are you making gameplay? What are you doing? You know, what the hell are you doing over there? awesome question. Uh, I've never heard like yeah this kind of come up in the press or like in on podcasts and stuff like that is how developers gauge playtime yeah that's a really good one I, and you should ask smarter people than me uh and who, who more have more experience but from my from my, you know the past you know few games that i've shipped uh you kind of have this general sense you kind of like this really rough target and you think oh yeah you know you know for halo 4 for example i think we're talking about like 10 missions i don't know how many they shipped with maybe eight i want to say that sounds about right um, i think they remember that and because you figure you factor like okay like an hour a mission and it's about you know it's a little bit over 10 hours we should be fine it's just really rough math man. yeah, yeah, like yeah. put on the back of a napkin well, there's no way to there's no way to say that what colin this expert gamer who's grown up a mega man knows all the stuff how long he's going to play getting every collectible versus someone who's just yes. picking it up and playing it on the weekend every so often not even aware versus the guy who wants to beat it on night one and is just steamrolling right like i right. don't it's always such a weird question it is and uh so for, for one of the things I've learned, and I think a lot of developers would agree, is that, and this isn't this isn't count this doesn't uh, 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 play to the strengths of the order, but games actually take a lot longer for people to play than I think developers first expect, mm. and I've always found that to be the tr- the case. Like you you think oh this they're going to be able to finish this in two hours. You put it in front of somebody, average time three hours and a half or three and a half hours or something like that. So uh, that was one thing that I've really learned. Uh, so maybe even like the the order guys were going like, oh man, we were, we're shipping like a three hour game, and <laughs> oh six, you know, all right, no, not right. bad. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> the other weird thing, this gets more on the publisher side of things, I think. But um, the unfortunate thing about uh, Alien Isolation, for example, mm. where it seems like they Way might have padded much. it, yeah, too long, right? Yeah. Because they're worried about you know lack of value, and sometimes like too much is a is a bad thing, right? So well, yeah. that was the concern with the order, right? Le- leading up to when they were talking about not it's it's longer than people are saying it is, but. We jump around a lot. We want you to feel different, right? We want every gun to feel different. We want every scenario to be different. Every time you pick it up, we want you to be doing something different so there isn't repetition. Right. And then it was like, well, now there's no flow to the game. There's no pacing to the game. And what does that matter? When then Alien Isolation, yeah, it's just like first eight hours are great and then there's more. Why are we still going into this? Right. And, and true or false, if, if the order was just an amazing, un- incredible, unbelievable six hours, seven hours, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We would have been – people would be saying, oh, this is how games should be. I like – Yeah. I like a six or seven hour, really, really, really top notch AAA experience, but maybe that's not what the game is, right? No, I mean not to me. I mean that was the thing I, I I've been talking about when we played the order, and you know all these things started. We had the order early, and so like a lot of these things started breaking. We couldn't talk about it. And one of the things that was frustrating us was like, I don't think the game's good at all. I just think that like the the length is not the problem. In fact, the length if the game was longer, it might have been worse. And I think that that was the thing that mm. that people were ignoring was like, what is this uh, you know subjective notion of value and what does that mean and i wrote you know i still write a piece for a week for ign just op-eds or whatever and um the topic i p- picked up this week was you know 
why game length this this argument of game length is weird because you know journey is not one of my favorite games of all time but journey was the most resonant emotional game i had ever played mm. and i beat it in 90 minutes and i was crying at the end and i have no idea why mm. and i told greg i came on greg i'm never playing that game again i deleted it off my hard drive because i'm like that 90 minutes was precious mm -hmm. i would pay hundreds of dollars to get 90 minutes like that again out of a game yeah and so that is my subject my subjective uh equation for value is, is what does the game do and what does the game mean uh, unfinished swans another really good example of that like these games that are short but awesome as opposed to you know people forget like when they're like well final fantasy 6 took 60 hours or 70 hours to beat and i'm like yeah but final fantasy 6 is able to take adva advantage of the conventions of the jrpg genre which no other genre does which is they can just pad it however they want here's another and, dungeon yeah well it's not even dungeons as much as it's grinding like you can you theoretically you should be able to blaze through a game like final fantasy 6 in 10 hours if you want to except for the fact that you have to level your characters up and be thoughtful and and you know persistent in, in in leveling your characters up making them stronger and stuff like that that is how they make a 10 hour game a 70 hour game and so people are ignoring all of these tricks of the trade as yeah. it were that are fine i mean that's what an rpg is and that's why i like them but you know so this argument about the order was weird to me in the sense that well you're right like if it was six really excellent hours like uncharted two and three especially i think are 10 12 hours and they're fucking awesome and they don't need to be longer and i hope that they aren't shorter and and that's good, but not every game needs to be that long. And I think people need to like shake this this notion of sixty dollars, ten hours, sixty dollars, twenty hours, sixty dollars. It's like why can't a five a five hour game be sixty dollars? No, 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 not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying like you could get five powerful hours for sixty dollars. So I think that people are losing sight of that. Mm. You know? Yeah. Again, I think if it was an awesome game. I think people would be putting this thing up on a pedestal that maybe this Wouldn't is the future of games, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's maybe the game should have been $40. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's more of a question of... Yeah. I, the game was in development for a long time at a AAA studio. Maybe that's more of a question of a, of a publisher and not wanting to explore this middle ground that could exist for, for even retail products. But uh, Jim Sterling, actually, Jim, uh, Jim fucking, fucking Sterling's son, <laughs> said... Um, he did a, a piece on Jim Acquisition where he was saying that. He's like, publishers are afraid of exploring this middle ground because they're afraid of being tagged as a budget game yep that's you know and that true. And, yeah and that has like a bad aura and mystique about it it's just not it's no bueno they don't want yeah, that yeah um so i, I don't bet, know i bet they run the numbers too and like oh yeah what happens you know focus groups if we sell the order for 19 or 39.99 less people buy it it looks there's a perce perception of it's lower quality bin. Right? yeah yeah I, I bet there's something to that yeah it's interesting it's it, this this particular argument just gets me in the same way that the indian downloadable space kind of argument gets me where it's like Games that aren't sixty dollars don't have value, and games that aren't twenty hours don't have value. And I'm like, what? Why are you? Why do you have such a, a narrow oh, view? Oh, Colin, you got to spend more time on the App Store. <laughs> then you get into this weird, really dark space where you, you you'll never win. It's, uh, you know, you make a game that's. I have a friend who put a you know pretty good game out there for a dollar ninety nine. Yeah. And people are bitching and moaning. It's two hours long, and like. I can't believe you're charging for this. It's it's two hours. Like you want it for free, and then you start doing the whole analogy or the comparison of like this is like less than half of a cup uh, price of a of a cup of coffee. When you get yeah. into that realm, you know you've lost because there's, there's no no logic will prevail. It's it's a really it's a dark place out there. Guys. I forget what was Republic when it came out. Four ninety nine. Yeah. And okay. People complain like crazy. Yeah. And it was an hour and a half, two hour first episode. You know, I think that's that's pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. No, no. It's, it's all. I mean, and that's replayable the, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's weird. Like the whole and you can. I mean, it's kind of segueing out of the specific argument of game length or how long is. The, but like this whole argument also just of value outside of length. About we we talked about it a little bit before about 
and we have some great viewers who are saying like that they would prefer to buy your game as opposed to getting a code from you when we were giving away on Colin and Greg yeah, Live because awesome. and it is great because there are people and we are we, I don't want to say we're educating people because it's up to them whether or not they know they, they know intrinsically that it's true but these things cost money to make and they're going to cost money to play and if you cut out if you just start I really feel like some of it is developers' fault for under like the iOS store, like the, the no. app store is a fucking disaster, and like they all did it to themselves, like See, by uh, undercutting each other. The yeah, they, like, they did, but because they felt like they had to. And what really needed to happen was that the the the, the guys who run those stores, whether it's you know Google Play or App Store or whatever, uh, I think they could have done a better job of at least holding back some of like this like the free to play mm-hmm. you know phenomenon for taking over. Because I think what we end up having now is just a bunch of crap and a bunch of manipulation that goes on now. Sure. You have to build all this manipulation to, to kind of trick people or make them feel guilty or do whatever to get money out of them. It's a really bad way uh, to, to, I don't know, like con- to interact with consumers uh, to the limited degree you even have interaction with on the app store, which is a whole other problem. But we still embrace it. And uh, I have actually really good feelings about the long-term viability of our game on the app store because it, it's, there's 1 billion iOS devices mm-hmm. out there, a billion. And getting the game in front of even like a small, like, point percentage of that is a, is a is a great opportunity you know yeah and it's it's interesting like uh, yeah i love the, i love to talk to different developers that have experience on the ios store and just on ios and android just in the sense of how their game succeeded or didn't and how people like we were talking about with drinkbox actually just go to vita with 14 million of them or whatever there are out there because they're like it's just it's just easier you know um yeah i, I the free-to-play thing is all interesting i mean we talk about plants versus zombies too which i was really excited about it's the last time i ever played a game on my ipad because oh. i usually just use it to read and uh, they they gave it to me, you know, they gave it for free. And then it's just like it constantly nickels and dimes you in the app. And I'm like, dudes, like I would have given you twenty dollars if you just left me alone. And now since you're bothering me, I'm not gonna give you shit. Yep. You know, like, yep. that, like that's that's the whole that's the whole. <laughs> now I'm not thing. even gonna play your game. Yeah, like like I I'm just like uh, it's like yeah, grind this out or pay us you know two dollars. And I'm like I'm just gonna grind it out because I resent you asking me for this when I would have just given it to you up front and you just like not talk to me. You know, or give me the option and just like the leave me alone button. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? it's, 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 just, it's just really unfortunate. Yeah, with. Uh, the way that yeah, I think consumers have been trained and the, 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 the consumers that will pay six figures into some of these iOS games. If you let them, they will. Yeah. And uh, well, that's the same thing with Patreon, right? Like it's like you have these people who will support you and try, you know what I mean? Like that. And like Colin just wants to give this developer money. Right. And then, and, but then they get in this way and they screw it up. And the people who will, you get, you get nickel and dime you get addicted. Maybe you go that, the wrong way with right. the money. Right. And then you have things where if you have a way, like the people in the Twitch chat today who like, well, I, if I get a code, I still want to buy it for gift it to somebody on steam. I want to make sure they're supporting. That's awesome. You. Yeah. That's like, that's where you hope the good wins out. Right. You yeah. And I mean? we actually see a positive sign. I think it's because of our kind of console, console pedigree and the audience that buys our game, on, at least on iOS, is we have a season pass just like the Telltale games have a yeah. season pass on iOS, which is $15. It pre-purchases all the future episodes at a discount. And what we actually found was that there's more people that have purchased the season pass than if, who have finished episode one. Mm. That's strange, right? And what we talking to the Telltale guys, they basically say this is that doesn't surprise them that a lot of people – uh, you know, want to support your game or they're buying it in advance because they, they want to wait until episode five comes out. Mm-hmm. But that just showed a lot of goodwill, at least for us. Like, you know, and, and more people, way more people, this shouldn't surprise you, but the guys who buy the game at premium, if they buy it at four ninety nine, are more likely to buy the season pass than are the ones that get the game for free if they get it oh, as part sure. of a free I promotion. That, yeah, that yeah. obviously makes a lot of sense, yeah. but it's because these people, we want to, that's our, our, target, our target audience is that we want to cultivate the people that are willing to pay for quality. And uh, a very smart person, way smarter than me, had told me he's a, he's a, in a consulting firm. Told me, Ryan, you have to, you can't think of all consumers as the same. You have to focus on yeah. who your consumer is. You have to have your target consumer. And I was like, Yeah, I'm an idiot. Like, of course, yeah, that's right. And he's like, Your 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 target consumer is is not the ones that are you know trying to get 
you know, 99 cent cheeseburgers. They're, they want to sit down at a restaurant and eat like a, you know, a $10 cheeseburger or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. They go after those guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And, uh, that's a great point. Yeah. That's why it's going to be successful on Steam. I should have said steak because yeah. all steak. developers want their games to be steak. Exactly. Steak. Filet mignon. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think this game. I mean, the reaction was good when we showed on Colin Greg-, Greg Live. I think. I think again that this will be big on Steam, and I think when it yeah. comes to console, it'll be big there too. It speaks to the console, the the hardcore. Yeah, gamer. you started I hate doing that. But. It's funny because yeah. you started at a place you thought you should be and probably needed to be in the iOS market, but the place that was most unintuitive for a development studio like you to be. <laughs> right. And I so, but I think that that what's that what's so cool about that is now. I don't want to say the hard work's over because the hard work's never over for a studio like yours and you guys are still working on the game and stuff, but maybe that the trials and tribulations are over. Like if you get... I don't think so. If you go to Xbox One, for instance, there's there's got to be some confidence that you're like, well... You know, no, these this people will get it. Yeah. These people will get it. Yeah, yeah and, and shipping this huge game with all the memory constraints and all the things we're learning about iOS and pushing iOS in areas that they've never been pushed before outside of maybe Infinity Blade and a couple other things. So you're right. Yeah, we, we took the, the hard path and I... That's kind of like what I want to do with my life anyway. So hopefully it'll pay off. You want to be challenged. I want to be challenged. I want the Dark Souls path of life. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you know, playing some, you know, uh, you know, game that's like constantly throwing achievements at me. I want to earn those babies. Mm. Damn right. I like that. Yeah. Get a new 401k. Okay. Um, <laughs> Republic Remastered. Out right now. If, you're, right if now. you're hearing this, go get it. PC and Mac. Humble Store. GOG. That's not Greg. No, it's not Game Over Greg. Game Over Greg. Go Greg. Uh, and uh, Steam. So thank you so much for PlayStation uh, supporting Steam. it. No, no problem. Our pleasure. Final topic of the kind of funny games cast for this week. It should be a fast one, first off, because you have to go, but also because we've we've hinted around. You've played this The Last of Us, right? Yeah, of course. It's all my right, favorite good. game of 2013. Well, all right, you have good taste. Over on Patreon.com, Adam Kershaw backed us at a certain amount to get his question right Thank on you, the Adam. air. Thank you very much, Adam. And his question is. One of my favorite shows you guys ever did was Last of Us spoiler cast. There surely has to be a sequel. Where do you see the story going, and what do you want to see from the next game? Love you guys. Go Islanders. Adam Kershaw. Right, good man. So the, uh, clearly this is a spoilers one. If you haven't beaten The Last of Us yet, you probably want to bounce. Exactly. Yeah, but I'm never going to untap my head on this one because it's just to the end now. I don't know. I to mean, the windows, to the walls. Uh, it was clear to me that... You know, I did the history of Naughty Dog. I spent a lot of time at that studio and wrote like fifty thousand words on the studio, or whatever. And one, of the, and I never got to write the piece about the Last of Us because um, everything changed. everything changed. And I never had. I, I it was all primary sources, so I just never got to write it. Um, but it was clear to me that they didn't necessarily design the game to be um, to have a sequel, nor did they necessarily want to do one. But I think that they were always open to the idea of doing it. I think now that the game sold what six or seven or eight million copies, whatever it sold, it's a no brainer. Um, and so I've said time and time again, like just to get right into it, that my personal opinion on the sequel to The Last of Us is that I'd like it to start literally right at the ending of The Last of Us. She sighs and you pick right out from the... Yeah, like where like they talk to each other and just start right there. Yeah, I'd yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the, here's the thing is that I'd play any of them. Yeah, I hope it true. doesn't happen. Like, I really hope they don't. Oh, like, you're one of those what, guys. No, no I sequel? am one of those. Oh, they're yeah. going to make a sequel. I know, I'm not saying, I'm saying, I'm not betting that it's not going to happen. I know it's going to happen, but I wish they wouldn't. Or, and if they did do it, I'd rather see, I would have rather seen something that we've always talked about like more DLC of Ish's tale or something right like I'd rather see even filled in when jo- Joel a younger Joel story a prequel to that you know what I mean to see yeah, everything happen I think it's likely to, you might see some of that stuff right yeah. these guys are gutsy you know if anything I'd like to see and if we have to go forward more and they are very gutsy if we have to go forward more I would want to see I think I'd want time to pass see Ellie a bit older Joel a bit older and go from there and see I'm, I want I mean I still want I always when I beat The Last of Us right 
I and I immediately started texting Neil Druckmann because he was like, "What did you think?" I'm like, "I'm not there. I'm not there." And I, I texted him immediately. I'm just like, "I was the bad guy. I am the bad. I was playing the bad guy." The only he's like, "You're not the that's well. That's up to interpretation." I'm like, "No, uh, fuck that. Uh, Joel is a bad guy, but his choice by in the, the end, end, right?" And that's the thing is that you got to get in these conversations with people, especially people who have daughters, and like, "No, he made the right choice. I would never have done that." And yeah, I'm like, which is this is good. That's but like, good. you know what I was what I was hoping when I'm when it's happening. I mean, not even when it's happening because I'm just too floored by what is happening. But I always wanted her to wake up and be like they told me i was going to die like if it picks right up i want her to be like you know they told me this was going to kill me and this was my choice mm. and you've stolen it from me you know what i mean like i want i want there to be conflict between joel and ellie which sucks because i love them and i love their relationship you're probably gonna get it that's what i want like that's what i want to see in the next one for sure is there to be some kind of repercussion with her based on what he did yeah the way they ended there's no way that they wouldn't be able to they, that they wouldn't go across those waters right yeah those yeah because she sighs like she knows she knows she knows he's lying to her Fucking God good, damn man. it. Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, you know, it's funny the way that people interpret that game, too, because I remember I remember talking about it on the SpoilerCast before we had Neil and Bruce on Podcast Beyond, like, after the game came out, and we were talking about it. I remember in the SpoilerCast, my whole thing was, Greg was like, you play as a bad guy. I'm like, no, you're not. There's no guarantee that that, that cure was going to work anyway, and in fact, the Fireflies might have been lying to you. No way. Um, and... And Greg was like, "You're crazy," and everyone was like laughing at me. And I remember, I remember talking when Bruce came. He's like, "No," or he's like, or Neil was like, "No, it's a great point. Like they never actually. There's no guarantee the cure was going to work, and there's no guarantee the fireflies were telling anyone the truth. So, so like it was they can do whatever they want. Yeah. So it was like to me, I was like, Joel made the maybe the maybe not the. It was definitely not. It was definitely a selfish choice. Yeah. But my whole rationale when he did it was, in my mind, if I was in Joel's position, I'd been like, "Where's the guarantee this is going to work? You have no show me no proof that you." That you know this is the sacrifice of this girl is going to work, and I think that's what everyone got caught up on, as opposed to where the way I looked at it, I think a lot of other people looked at it, and I think the way Neil might have even written it, which was that there is no guarantees, and so he isn't the bad guy. It's like way more nebulous than that. Mm. That said, you know they talk, they downplay it or don't talk a lot about it. and I do believe them in terms of the rationale or the the not the rationale the the inspiration for the game being the road, which I think is yeah. you know Cormac McCarthy's book, which I think is it's fucking obvious but like they don't take a lot of inspiration from it but when i think about that book one of the great books i've ever read um it's about a father and his son but really the star of the entire book is the the world and i think we also have to get caught up with that that joel and ellie are special and we love them but i think maybe the star of the last of us is actually that world and like i wonder if like the story that you that you tell is has nothing to do with them at all and it's like a totally the last of us two is just yeah, a different that, man. Yeah. yeah, just a different story about a different group. Maybe the Firefly the Fireflies do have a national reach, I guess, at least from Boston to Salt Lake, but maybe it's about a different group or in a different country or Maybe it's the Fireflies going after Joel. You know what I mean? They've yeah. put it together that this was happening, that there was all there's this massacre. He's kinda like a legend, right? He is I am legend. Mm-hmm. Now they have to go after him. That's what your your mission is. So yeah, I think that like the whole ish thing like is obvious and I think that should have been the DLC, and I don't think they're gonna go back to that or whatever. And I think the DLC they did with left behind was amazing. Um, I just, I wish I wish I had no combat at all. I wish that they had the balls to do something like that. But, um, you know, I think that the, the last one sequel is definitely going to happen. I'm sure it's in pre-production now. I'm sure that the entire, even though they have their two team kind of thing going on in Naughty Dog, that all of them are on Most the Most of them are to roll off, right? right. Yeah. So I don't, th- I don't think anything's happening now. And I don't think the last of us two is imminent at all. I think you see it 2018, 2019 maybe. But um, I hope that if they don't continue right after the ending, I hope that it's just totally different. Like a totally different story. Um but I, I'm not. I can understand the sanctity of that story in terms of like leaving it alone. But Sony's pretty blatant about, it, and everyone is Activision and Ubisoft. Everyone that makes IP that you know they make IP. Yeah, to make you want to make money. You're a business. Yep. And if there's if that IP that IP came out the gate and sold eight million units, then well, I can't hopefully imagine. it's as good as Peace Walker. Yeah, and give me the Last of Us Portable. 
bite-sized operations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got to talk about Peace Walker at some point, but I, 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 I got to run. I know, you guys yeah, can keep yeah. going. No, no, no. We're no, ending. We'll, we'll wrap it. it. Yeah, yeah. What's I'm on? sorry. No, no. It's nothing to be sorry. No, 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 I've been watching it. I've been watching it. Don't worry. We're, we're going to get you out of here at three. Get you an Uber. Don't worry about it, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a pleasure having you on the Kind of Funny Gamescast. Remember, each and every Friday we post this at patreon.com slash kindoffunny. Then the next week it's broken out topic by topic over on youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames. Damn, patreon.com slash kindoffunnygames is the Patreon. You can just go to Patreon, find Kind of Funny. We're everywhere. Go to kindoffunny.com, find everything. Then, MP3 YouTube on Friday. It's great. It's been a pleasure having you, you, sir. Peyton. Thank you, sir. Republic Remastered is out right now on Steam. GOG. uh, Humble. Don't say it. Don't, I'm not, no, not going to say it. One say day to Mac. One day to Mac. Yeah, one go. day probably it, to Vita because we it. know people. You got it. Uh, everybody go get it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Colin, thank you for yours. Oh, my pleasure. Until next time, I'm not Tim Geddes. <laughs>